And the Oscar goes to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. And the Oscar goes to Lupita Nyong'o. And the Oscar goes to Halle Berry in Monsters Bay. And the Oscar goes to Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. And the winner is Marvelous Meryl Streep. And the Oscar goes to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. And the Oscar goes to Olivia Colman. Welcome to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I am the third shade of pink, blush, bashful, and gay as fuck, Joey Gentili. And I'm Diane Weiss' favorite piece of machinery, Brandon Stanwyck. And welcome to 1989, our season two finale. Man, another decade gone. Mm-hmm. Another decade gone. I can't believe it's insane. Like, I'm, like, getting to the studio today, and right now, like, I'm genuinely tired. Uh-huh. Which is funny, because I'm tired just because I'm tired, but I'm tired because it's, like, in a way, we just recorded, like, back-to-back -back seasons. Yeah. Even right. though we're not in the studio every day, it's still, we've talked about it, it's a lot of homework to do. Right. And this is, like, the little last hurrah before we take our sabbatical here, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a break and not thinking about the Oscars for, for at least a month. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, we're very open on how out of order we record these, but 89 literally is our last one that we're recording. Right. And we did the same thing with 79, but it's funny because we have a guest for 99 uh, oh, for right. season three, and I know for we, that we've talked, like, um, we're getting all the guests done first, uh -huh. so it'll be funny how we're not going to do 99 last, mm -hmm. so, but yeah, I'm like, oh, this is like the last hurdle. Not at all that this is like a burden, but it's just like, it'll be good to take a break. Mm -hmm. it's, it's fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. How's your week been? It's been pretty good. Uh, as soon as I caught up on the uh, movies for this week, I just started watching a bunch of like horror movies that I had never seen before. Uh -huh. I watched this one called Popcorn. That was really fun. The, like the um, D. Wallace movie, right? Yeah, yeah. It takes place in a movie theater. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. I think Scream Factory or Vinegar Syndrome, one of those, just released like a new Blu-ray and I checked it out from the library. Like they remastered it and everything. Fuck yeah. And I watched it. It was really fun. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Fuck yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, any other ones that you saw? So I, I Huge took... Huge horror fans. Obviously. Yeah, so um, I watched one that you recommended to me, Curtains. With Samantha Eggers. Did you like it? It was so weird and so enjoyable uh -huh. and so meta. Yeah. Because, like, the movie, the director that is credited is the character director within the movie. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's all the character names uh -huh. in the credits. And it's it's very uh, in its own world. And I kind of dig it. Did you expect a twist on who the killer was? I had a feeling. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun movie, And though. it's funny, too, because I remember seeing that for the first time and I knew about that ice skating... Like, it's infamous for this ice skating The slow motion the ice slow skating motion. chase. Because you actually think, like, this person's going to get away mm -hmm. for a moment, and then it's like, no bitch, surprise. Yeah. Um, but I remember seeing it, and the the first person who's killed in the apartment, mm -hmm. I'm like, it almost, I mean, it's been a minute, but remind me, because you just watched it, isn't it, they're like a dream of this person dying, then they wake up and they actually then get killed? Yeah, there's like a movie within the movie, and then yeah. there's like dream sequences, and yeah. you don't know, you never really know if you're in reality at first. Uh, so it's it's a little trippy in that way. Nice. So nice. it's fun. And the you know, Academy Award nominee Samantha Agar stars in it. She's she became um kinda well no, she really did become a, like a screen queen of such. 
Because, I mean, even her nomination in 65, I don't know how you feel about The Collector, but I feel like that's definitely, like, a horror movie. I feel like it's in the realm of horror. An, yeah, yeah. Really, William Wyler. Yeah, with that Terrence Stamp. Yeah. Plays a guy who kidnaps her and keeps her uh, captive as, like, his yeah. basement bride for a while. That movie's frustrating, but that's a whole other discussion for yeah. sure. Right. Um, but what are your big plans to do over over your break? I've got nothing planned. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm just like, I'm so, like, I'm, I'm you know, we're, we're, we're going to come back. So it's, it, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss it. But at the same time, like, we need a break. We need a break. We need a break. Especially, too, because um, we've got, I know personally, we both have a lot coming up. Mm-hmm. And um, whether or not we get through, like, we do what we did, like, the last time and back to back, or we just do, like, one again and then take a break and then yada, yada, yada. Either way, we're almost kind of caught up mm-hmm. to modern yeah modern time i honestly i honestly feel the way that we record these we might be caught up by the end of the year perhaps because i think once we hit like 2000 nominees yeah like i don't remember what the year there's a year where that's like after i reach that point i've seen everything yeah so because part of the challenge with the 70s and 80s is a lot a lot of these movies are very hard to find and so uh-huh. they're not as widely seen yeah especially these one-off ones that only had like a supporting actress nomination gabby. that's it gabby yeah. uh, summer wishes winter dreams like a lot of these movies yeah. are real difficult to come by and so that's why i and a lot of people have never seen them right so but as soon as we get closer to the present a lot of these movies are way more accessible a lot of them are more uh, likely to be streaming somewhere mm-hmm. and just easier to get caught up on them and it's nice too because it's just like this is the easy part and like you said finding them is the hard part Mm -hmm. and i know yeah once we get a little bit more modern there's only a couple i may have to revisit like offhand i could think of like maybe hotel rwanda for sofia canado i'd have to revisit but like other than that i think that's the only one in from 2000s up that i really have to go see again um but yeah it'll just be like a smooth sailing from here on out yeah but um yeah, so that is going to be a lot easier, which is nice as shit. Also, too, we just released, because we, because we're recording this the week that we premiered season two here. Right. For so, 1980. Yeah, so 1980 just came out a couple days ago. Yeah, and it's been really cool, because our, our with, between our two bonus episodes in 1980, like, we're really growing in numbers. We've, we've entered more territory to list, you know, people here. Yeah, and our, our, uh, our fans on Twitter are very uh, lively, and I, I kind of dig it. Yeah. It, we have a very strong following, and I just want to thank everyone who contributes to the Twitter, and if you're, and if you're listening and you haven't followed us yet, it's at Academy underscore Queens. Yeah. So you can follow all of our updates and the polls and the for your consideration posts that we do and join the discussion some people are very passionate about their winners and i think it's kind of cool yeah it's also kind of we also you know do the for your consideration just kind of see where people are at right because it gives i mean clearly we know who we would give the oscar to so it's funny to see like where people where we kind of get an idea of where people's reactions to our episodes are going to be at right because so. usually when we post those we've already recorded that episode most yeah. of the time so we know we're already where we stand so it's really fun to see where other people are yeah who other people are really passionate about and how who other people really, really hate. Yeah. And it's it's really fun. Well, clearly this was going to premiere way after this episode, we could, so, you know, we can say this, but I, um, I'm surprised with two things, especially with your choices here, how many people don't like Elizabeth McGovern. Yeah. And she was your winner. I understand it's a really random one, right. but I was really feeling it in the moment. It's possible I'll revisit Ragtime in a few years and be like, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. But in the moment, I had just seen it. That was one of the movies for 81 that I'd never seen before, so it was fresh and it was mm. new. 
and I was just really into the randomness of it, and I just love Elizabeth McGovern, so I was into it, and I, I stand by it for right now. Of course, but um, I know she was my runner-up, too, so that was like, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, but I'm surprised at how many people, Andrew Carden, love Vanessa Redgrave and the Bostonians. Yeah, so that was another movie I'd never seen before, <laughs> and for some reason it just didn't uh, fit with me. Mm. That's another one, maybe in a few years I'll watch it again and appreciate it more, yeah. but for some reason it just didn't do much for me on this first time watch for 84 yeah so yeah that's i just wasn't feeling it in the moment heard that heard that so there was something i i really probably should have waited to do that i did yesterday and um i well okay so a couple days ago i got a phone call and i want to bring this up really quick because it's you know it is a big thank you from us to you guys in a way um i got a phone call from the academy themselves and it's not like it's not like oh i'm the president of the academy hi what are you doing we have listeners in the academy that found us through or got a hold of me through the union hmm. um in the archives who listen to us so we have fellow nerds like ourselves who actually like take pride in that and it honestly came from us trending from the 1950 episode hmm. because we were at the bottom of trending really we like quick. barely made it into the barely trending. made it and they took notice and gave me a call and chatted for 25 minutes and got to know a little bit about what's going on with the uh, with the museum. So it wasn't like, oh, hey, you know, you're the official podcast of the Academy Awards. Thank you so much. Uh, but no, it was, um, yeah, we have listeners in the Academy, which is really, really cool. That's neat. And it's it, it's a lot of fun. But I, I posted yesterday, I actually took it down because I was like, probably should have just waited, but I was excited. Yeah. I was excited. It was pretty neat. But it was funny, too, because, um, you know, my friend Tori is active with us on it, and I hadn't noticed it like right away until they called through but when okay so when you get a call from them if they call you no matter what i guess it pops up in your phone mm -hmm. you know as who's calling the caller id the caller id um it's kind of like it goes back to it reminds me of this joke from kathy griffin she's like oh when share calls it just comes up as share whether or not she's in your phone or not i guess it's a program to come up and, and you know whatnot so getting that phone call it was like what the fuck why are they calling and it was, it was really cool, and, you know, I just want to thank you guys, because you guys put us in there to for them to, you know, take notice and listen to us, so. Yeah, and if you haven't already, if you want, if you feel so inclined, you can um, rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen, because yep. supposedly that helps us come up in more, like, uh, recommended for you sections of the platforms, so it uh, becomes easier for other people to find the podcast. So, if you're into it, uh, please give us a rating and a review, and we'd appreciate it. Hells Yeah. Well, um, like our season finale of um, season one, we're also at the end of this going to rank rank the winners of uh, of this decade. So we are 10 minutes in. Right. So the real life winners. Yes. Not our personal winners. Yes. Yes. Well, we are 10 minutes in. So let us get started. Mm -hmm. um, for the class of 1989, your supporting actress nominees were... Brenda Fricker in My Left Foot. Angelica Houston in Enemies, a love story. Lena Olin in Enemies, a love story. Julia Roberts in Steel Magnolias. Diane Weist in Parenthood. All right, let's start off with the ingenue of 1989 that year, and that is Julia Roberts as Shelby 
I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna fuck that last name up. Latishiri, um, this is her first of four nominations. And going into Oscar night, she won the Golden Globe for Supporting Actress. Um, in Steel Magnolias, no, oh yeah, in, in Steel Magnolias. In Steel Magnolias, Julia again plays Shelby, who is the only daughter of the Sally Field character who is, the movie starts off with her about to get married. She has horrible taste in colors because her colors are blush and bashful. And uh, she is also a suffering diabetic who wants to have children of my own and uh, eventually succumbs to said disease um, and in a way kind of sacrifices her life for her child. Mm. Um, so what do you think about Julie Roberts and Steel Magnolias? So she has the worst case of diabetes thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I don't know how... I, I have people in my life who are diabetic. I don't know how... Um, accurate this is yeah. but it seems a little over the top yeah. and it kind of matches her performance I think because I think she's a little bit too much for me personally um, I think she's going a little bit too far for me sometimes I really want her to rein it in a little bit mm. and kind of turns me off in a way but um, at the same time I'm still kind of into it because this movie's a little bit over the top yeah. and so I guess in a way she kind of fits the movie it all kind of works in a way but it's still not really to my personal taste right um, like the scene where she, like the whole drink your juice Shelby it was just so bananas like I had seen this movie ages ago and I forgot like everything but that scene like that's and it's an iconic scene so that makes sense but like the whole drink your juice thing with uh, Julia Roberts and Sally Field is just so I don't know so heavy handed and I just wasn't really feeling it yeah um, this is a, a funny nomination to me I mean it is also, to Harmony and the Golden Globe is what we say. It's like the Globes globing, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and it's, just, it, it's, it's a funny nomination to me because out of everyone in that cast, Julia Roberts is the one that got in. Yeah, she's not who I would have nominated. No, I mean, for sure. First of all, I, I think this, this movie is two things. It's an ensemble piece. Yeah. So, I mean, you could have put Sally Field or I would have put... Um, uh, Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine is probably who I'd be the quickest to nominate. Right. Weezer, Weezer Bordeaux. Uh -huh. Maybe Olympia Dukakis. I enjoyed her. Yeah. Hit this. Hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, this is just this is just weird to me. The other thing that sticks out about this is that this movie had SAG been around would have been like the, the shoe-in for oh, ensemble. Yeah, at least would have been nominated. Right, right. Um, but, I mean, it's just... when This is such a hammy performance with surrounded by good performances mm -hmm. so it, it's it's interesting to me that this is the one out of all the ones that got in but you know what good for her it was her first yeah it kind of feels like she's in her own world in yeah. some scenes yeah like it doesn't feel like she fits with everyone else and can we talk about that terrible haircut she gets uh-huh i mean i get it that it's the late 80s but that i mean that is in the south bad yeah poor mm-mm I felt more. I felt worse with Julia Roberts's like hair than I did her. <laughs> I don't know. That was just. It's an interesting choice uh, for a nomination for me. Yeah, it's it's neat that she got a nomination so early in her career, but uh, it's a it's an odd one. Yeah, and this would be her first of um, two consecutive, which well, you know, we'll get to next oh, season. Oh right, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I guess good for you, but I just feel like this is a filler nomination. Perhaps. And also, yeah, like we said, it feels like the wrong person from this film was nominated. Yeah. Like I said, I probably would have put, if I'm going to do that, I would have put Sally Field or um, Shirley McLean in this instead. Because, again, I wouldn't put Sally in lead. It's an ensemble piece for sure. Yeah, I think if I, 
I think Sally's the closest to, to being lead. the lead yeah. if you had to pick one person, but I could see everyone being supporting and I wouldn't be mad about it. Yeah. But yeah, I would probably nominate Shirley MacLaine myself. I think Olympia Dukakis would be my runner-up for supporting. Yeah. But yeah, Julia Roberts would not be my first pick. Did you see the Lifetime remake with Queen Latifah? No, and, I did oh, not. That is a bad remake. Yeah, I did not see that. That was bad. That was not good. I mean, Steel Magnolias is not anything that I ever run back to. Like, I have to watch Steel Magnolias. Yeah, it's, um, not, it's not my cup of tea. Yeah. It's not, it's not my glass of juice. <laughs> Uh, I see what you did there. I like that. And that's actually my transition to move on because that was funny. I can't top that one. Um, all right. So next up, we had Lena Olin as Masha in Enemies, A Love Story. This is her sole nomination. And going into this, she had a uh, National Society of Film Critics nomination for Best Supporting, but a New York Film Critics uh, Award win for Supporting Actress. In Enemies, Love Story, um, Lena again plays Masha, who is a Holocaust survivor who... Wait... Oh, I'm just nodding. Oh, I thought you were... Oh, okay. I was like, no, she is. She's got a tattoo. Um, she is a Holocaust survivor who... Okay, the way this movie is set up, it, it follows a guy who's married but has an affair with a woman and then his ex-wife, but technically they're still married, we thought was dead, comes back. So he's, like, starting to see, like... Th or he has, like, three women who are technically, like, his wife. It's just... That's, I think, the easiest way to explain this movie. Um, so she plays one of the women, and um, she plays a woman who is kind of really hell-bent on just being the only one. Mm -hmm. um, and it literally turns fatal to her, because she just wants him all to herself. And what do you think about Lena Olin as Masha? I really like her in this. Mm -hmm. um, I feel bad for all the women in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's a really shitty situation for everyone to be in and I understand everyone's frustration all the characters frustration and kind of especially her mm -hmm. because I mean he has the wife who he he lives with who is like for all intents and purposes his current wife quote mm -hmm. unquote and then he has Angelica Houston who we'll get to in a minute who he thought was his late wife who he thought had passed uh -huh. and he had moved on from and then she pops back up, and she's still technically his wife because she was never actually dead, so she still has a claim to him. Yeah. And then Lena Olin is kind of the third woman, yeah. in a way, who he's who's sort of been tacked on. And it's a real shitty situation for her to be in, and I feel bad for her. And like when at the end of the movie, spoiler for a 30-year-old movie, when she takes the handful of pills and swallows them, yeah. I was really feeling something for her, and like... I don't want to say I understood her choice, but in character, it made sense dramatically. Yeah. And I just really felt for her. Yeah, this uh, this is going to be a really weird example to give, but it's, it's just what popped in my head to try to make sense of where the women are at in this dude's life. If you look at like a plate of food, mm -hmm. and his current wife is the one he's married to, is the meatloaf and then the side of mashed potatoes is Angelica Houston and then Masha is the applesauce that gets ignored mm -hmm. and she wants to be the meat I guess that's the best visual way I can give for the listeners who haven't seen it, if that makes sense she's like the side dish that gets left in the kitchen yes. and everyone forgets about yes. until the meal's over <laughs> which it's funny because when this movie starts she, she gives a performance that's a complete 180 from when it begins Yeah, because whether they're at the zoo and she's like growling it out over the phone or they're talking about would you have sex with someone of the same sex she's like starts off as like this like sex pot 
like sex kitten almost, but she's got a good head on her shoulders and she's very, very happy to where it's like, give me all the attention and if you don't, I'm going to kill myself. Mm. And it's, and it, it, at first you don't take her serious, but then it's like, oh my God, like she's legit. She doesn't want to live without this guy. Yeah. And it's a, it's one of these performances that are subtle, but very effective. Yeah. It's a subtle, but still powerful performance. Yeah. Like, I would say it's the least showy of the three women. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's the one that I feel is the most effective because it's such a polar opposite of what we get from beginning to end of this character. Especially the the punctuation. Yeah. At the end with the pills. Yeah. You you see right away when her character is introduced why this guy is drawn to her. Like mm-hmm. you see the attraction, mm-hmm. and at first you think she's just an attractive woman, mm-hmm. and he's just drawn to her physicality. Yeah. But as it goes on, you see there's so much more to this character, and she is so well-rounded there's so much depth to her that lena olin draws out Mm -hmm. and that's why at the end of the movie you really feel for her and also in a weird way understand her decision like i don't want to say that i'm like condoning suicide or anything but dramatically knowing for story purpose yeah, yeah knowing what this character's been through what's going through her head how she's been cast aside by this man who she's like deeply in love with it makes sense yeah. dramatically and it's very effective like you were saying yeah it's definitely one of those performances that stuck with me at the end of it um and i'm also really kind of surprised that lena olin is kind of like a forgotten nominee i actually didn't even realize she was a, a nominee until i was until i learned of this movie yeah it's it's weird too because like it's the movie's only 30 years old so it's still in a way quote unquote fresh Mm. compared to something that came out in, you know, 79 or whatever, you know? Um, So I don't think she was ever really able to capitalize on this. I Mm. think this is one of those examples that are like, well, what do we do with this actress like Norma Alejandro or, you know what Mm. I mean? Um, But yeah, I mean, I really like this. I think this is is a good example. And it's funny too, because we've talked about before, you're drawn a little bit more usually to the subtle performance Mm. while I'm into the big performances, but I really like this. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. I like it. It's definitely better than Julia Roberts. (laughs) I will say that. Um, teaser for the rankings. Teasers. All right, coming up, we have the winner of this year, Brenda Fricker as Mrs. Brown in My Left Foot. This is her sole nomination and win. Going into Oscar night, she was nominated for the Golden Globe for supporting. She won the LA Film Critics Association and uh, was nominated for the uh, National Study Film Critics and the New York Film Critics Association for supporting. In My Left Foot, um, Brenda Fricker plays the mother of 22 children. <sighs> that is a lot. No, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Um, she plays the mother and who ends up being the sole caretaker of her son, Christy Brown, who suffers from cerebral palsy and ends up being able to only communicate through his left foot, or as I like to call this movie, Gabby too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, she literally just becomes the backbone and kind of his voice throughout the entire thing. And it, she's, you know, kind of the epitome of true love, true love, mm-hmm. true mother's love. So what do you think about uh, Brenda Fricker as Mrs. Brown? It's easy for me to see why she won this. Mm-hmm. Um, Mrs. Brown is a very, very likable character. Mm-hmm. And she's a strong mother figure who stands up for her son and cares for her son and won't let anyone come between. She's, in a way, a hero of this movie. So it's very easy to see why people would be inclined to vote for her yeah. and why you why it was seen as such a triumph mm-hmm. for this character and for Brenda Fricker herself. I think she's pretty good here. Um, I'm not crazy about my left foot. It's no. not really my kind of movie, but I think she does really well with what she has here. 
And she does create a really powerful character with uh, the material that she has. Of course, this is a real person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Mrs. Brown was still alive. I'm not sure. I don't know if they ever got the chance to meet. I don't know the actual history of the people outside of the movie. But um, I, I can see the win here. I think she does really well, and she leaves an impression, I think. Yeah, 100%. Um, like Lena Olin, too, this is actually a nominee and a winner, then, who, like again, kind of went into obscurity outside of you know we know her from home alone too she's the, the, pigeon, the pigeon lady yeah. um which is unfortunate because she's super talented mm-hmm. now regarding specifically the character i don't know like i yes i like this i think it's really really good i i really actually enjoy the win here because i think it, it's such because i think it's who the actress is compared to like who what the what what is requested of her mm-hmm. i think it's such a left field win for the academy um, because you could have gone with, like, the Golden Globe winner that year, Julie Roberts, you know what I mean? Um, at least Academy-wise. Academy but this is... I don't know if I'm not drawn to this performance because of my own relationship with my mother to mm. where, you know, I don't understand motherly love in a way because sure. no, no, you know, dramatic, but, you know, I never really had that. So I don't know how to react to it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I like it, I just I'm, I don't think I'm just as connected with it as other yeah. people are. Um, but I definitely see the win here. I also definitely feel like I kind of agree with Brenda in her speech. If you have 22 kids, you kind of deserve one of these (laughs) regarding her Oscar. Um, but it, it also reminds me a little bit of William Hurt in Children of Lesser God, where she, you know, that he spoke for Marley Matlin's character. Here, she's kind of doing the same, um, even though it may not be sign language. It's, you know, it's her son. She understands him. She's speaking for him. So I almost wonder if she got it because it was like almost a dual role. Does that make sense? I guess in a way. But yeah, I think people were really feeling this character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't really have a complaint other uh, other than maybe I just don't understand the love as much. Her character doesn't die in the movie, does she? Uh, I remember I just said, I don't know if Mrs. Brown was actually alive at the time. And I was like, wait, does she die? I don't think so, because it ends with him at the like the book signing. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Th- this, I, it's been a minute since I watched it, and I, I just, I can't, my mind went blank, and I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, clearly, you know, we, we watch these for the podcast, but My Left Foot is not one that I had to revisit, because I had watched within the last year. Same with me. I had watched it like within the last year before we even started talking about doing this, yeah. so I'd like refresh my memory with a little bit with like YouTube and Wikipedia. Yeah. But like now I find myself wondering, wait a minute, did I miss this? Am I forgetting this is large detail? And now we're like, we have listeners who are like, do your homework. Oh, oh well. well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's our show. Um, okay, going ne- uh, into the next nominee, we had Diane Weist, who returned to the Oscars for her second of three nominations as Helen in Parenthood. Going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress. And in Parenthood, Diane Weiss's Helen is part of a huge ensemble, giving you different aspects of different types of parenting. Um, she plays a woman who is too young to be a grandma because she was at Woodstock, damn it. And uh, she's honestly hilarious in this movie. Um, so what do you think about Diane Weiss in Parenthood? I th- like you said, I think she's hilarious. She's probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Um, her and Martha Plimpton, yeah. who plays her daughter. Um, Diane's hysterical in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her so much. I feel for her when she's going through all the trials of being a single mother and like when her son wants to like move out yeah. and you really feel for her. Like he makes the call to the father because he wants to move in with his father and Diane Weiss is just sitting there at the kitchen table knowing 
this isn't going to work out for the son, but she has to let him go through the motions. Yeah. And she's just sitting there going through everything with him, knowing that his heart's about to be broken. Mm. And you really feel for her. Like, that's a really dramatic moment in mm. this mostly comedic performance. Yeah. Her relationship with her daughter is hilarious, like, when it's revealed that she has a vibrator and no one can seem to handle that this single mother would have a vibrator. Right. And she has that really funny line about, I have to have sex with machinery because it's my only option or however she words it. Right. It's hilarious. Yeah, I really like this. Um, this is a really fun and light nomination in this lineup. Um, and again, I agree, she's probably the best part of the movie. Um, this movie is very... I wouldn't say... This movie's not great, for sure. And there's there's a scene in particular that's pretty plot problematic. Um, it did not today. age well. It did not age well. I actually texted you while watching this the other day. I actually own this on VHS, but it had been a minute since I'd watched it, so I wanted to... And I had just watched it the day before, so I knew exactly what you were talking about. Oh, did about. you? Yeah. Yeah, so there's this scene that depicts Mary Steenburgen and Steve Martin's kid. He's He's got, like, mental issues, and by mental issues, he just... He's a troubled teenage he, boy. Yeah. Well, you know, he's, like, nine. In well, the movie. Yeah. Oh, well, he's pictured as... Yeah. So he... This is at a time before, you know, ADD, ADHD, and all that was really diagnosed into children, still even for the late 80s. And um, whatever he's dealing with, the movie depicts him as becoming a school shooter in a scene. In like a fantasy nightmare yeah. type scenario. And it's supposed to be played as funny, but, you know, in today's age, that's the only issue that I kind of had with this movie. Um, like this kid just snapped and started killing all his classmates. Yeah, because... Like, and watching it through the lens of 2019, it's like, ooh, yeah. no. Yeah, and, you know, but other than that, the movie's like, eh, okay. Well, that scene's also a bit of a reference to the movie If... If you've ever seen that, it's from mm -hmm. the 60s with Malcolm McDowell. The movie ends exact same way, where, spoiler for the movie, where he shoots everyone in his boarding school from a, uh, from a tower uh. like, with a rifle. And the way Parenthood shoots that scene, it's clearly an homage. So I think Ron Howard, I think Ron Howard directed this, mm -hmm. was paying a little bit of tribute to If, but also it, it was kind of in poor taste. Yeah. But other than that, I think Diane Weiss is great here. Um, I really like her character. I think she she's definitely my favorite part of Parenthood. Um, there's, the, there's the moment where... Okay, so first of all, the fact that Keanu Reeves is perfectly cast in this... It, he is perfection. And it, it, this is what he followed up Dangerous Liaisons with, which is such a 180 for him. Excuse me, just like burped in everyone there. Um, there's a scene where she's starts hitting him with a newspaper in the front yard mm -hmm. and then he's like but you're my wife and then she's like what to martha plumpton who's her daughter and she's like you got married what the fuck and she starts hitting her i mean it's it's such a good balance of like drama with comedy but it's still comedic drama and i i like it a lot she turns on a dime and it's completely mm -hmm. believable yeah when she goes from serious to funny to crying to yeah. laughing and it, Diane Weiss makes it so believable. Well, it was funny, too, because if you did not know, um, Sally Kirkland was offered this role. Oh, really? And it, became, it came between Sally Kirkland and Diane Weiss. And there's, if you, I forget, I want to say it was almost Fritz, maybe it wasn't Fritz. There's an interview on, if you, if you Google Sally Kirkland Parenthood, there's, a, there's an interview that she did that pops up. And she was with William Morris at the time, and Ron Howard wanted her to screen test for it. And her agency was like, you're an Oscar nominee, you don't have to screen test. And she's like, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, like this could have been number two for you, Sal. 
And so that's why when Ed TV, she had said when Ed TV had come around a decade later, she went to Ron and was like, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. Mm -hmm. And she got Ed TV. But yeah, so this um, was either going to be Diane Weist or Sally Kirkland. Some, some people's egos can be their worst enemy. Yeah, I've heard of that before. Some people will refuse to audition and then they lose out on and someone else, it becomes like their number one performance. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction, I think, is a great example of that. Look how many yeah. actresses turn that down. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, Diane Meese, no complaints there for me. Yeah, I have no complaints about it. I think she's great here. Yeah, for sure. Um, we kind of went through these a little bit fast because we're at Angela Houston, who's our last nominee of this lineup, as, uh, do you say Tamara or Tamara? I, I think it's Tam, the, like the accent in that is... Yeah, I don't remember how they say it in the movie, but I think I say Tamara. I would say Tamara. Uh, she plays Tamara in Enemies of Love Story, so this is a double Enemies of Love Story nomination. This is her second of three nominations. Going into this, she was nominated for the LA Film Critics Association for Best Supporting and won the National Society of Film Critics for Best Supporting. So everyone in this lineup this year won something except for Diane Weiss going into this. Oh, interesting. Um, so it could have been really anyone's game. Um, in Enemies Love Story, so remember that plate of dinner that I was telling you about, how she was the mashed potatoes. She is the wife who was report or apparently dead, mm -hmm. but then wasn't dead because her character uh, laid under some corpses and escaped the Nazis, fled to Russia, then got to New York, and she <laughs> pops up with a bang. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of the comedic relief of this movie. And what do you think of Angelica Houston in Enemies? Uh, she's a bad bitch, and I love her. Yeah. Um, like you say, comedic relief, and I think that's part. That's I think that's true. But I think she causes a lot of comedy as opposed to being the actual comedian. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of when she appears at his apartment with his current live-in wife and his wife doesn't realize that Angelica Houston's actually alive and she opens ghost. yeah she opens the door and sees Angelica Houston standing there in the flesh and thinks it's a ghost and screams and slams the door and runs into the bathroom and slams that door and keeps screaming and it goes on for like minutes it's a long scene and it's really funny and Angelica yeah. Houston at one point just kind of saunters up to the doorway and she just like lights a cigarette or something and just stands there while she's waiting for this woman to get over it and accept reality and she oh. can't and so it is really funny so even if she's not like the one cracking jokes yeah. she does cause some of the levity in here yeah and i think she's really good i do too i think this i like this a lot better than her pritzy's honor uh, i do win. too yeah because it was such like people are like oh pritzy's honor is a comedy i'm like where bitch and this it, though even though again she, yes like, like you said she's not the jokey jokester of the movie she causes the mm -hmm. comedy I think her comedic work here is great. Yeah. Um, because there is that point where she sits down at the table too and she's like, boo! And she lights the, the cigarette and then the wife starts screaming again. And I, I enjoy this thoroughly. I think this is... If you're going to prove to me why you won an Academy Award for, for, for performance that I don't think you should have won for, this was a good one to do. Yeah. Um, because it is such a departure from her other work. You know, granted, she did Witches in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she would go on to be Morticia Adams and the Adams Family. And those were funny. Yeah. That, I mean, I would have casted her as Morticia based off of this role. Oh, yeah. I so, was seeing Morticia, Morticia when I watched this. Yeah. Like, it, became, it was clear to me why she was cast in that role after watching this. Like, yeah. I always was definitely on board with her playing Morticia to begin with. But after watching this, I was like, oh, this is perfect casting. Yeah. It makes sense why you'd go from point A to point B here. Yeah, I mean, I, for enemies, I, 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 I will, will think I just had a stroke there. I will be bold and say she's my favorite thing in this movie. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy her here. I think this, this is much, I like this performance more than I do Pritzi. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I really like her here. I, I'm kind of at a loss for words. I'm not sure where to go. 
I just really enjoy her. For such a heavy topic of two of like World War II and Nazis in this movie, it was Holocaust survivors. Holocaust survivors. It, she was able to take this material and truly give us something to, I guess, look forward to mm -hmm. in future viewings even. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't, well, yes, it's a heavy topic. It, she is that light that we need in this dark topic of a film. Yeah, and she's like a no-nonsense kind of broad. Yeah. And, and you, I really respect that. Yeah. Like, she wasn't putting up with anyone's shit. Even, like, her husband who remarried and also has this other woman who he's kind of married to also. And she's just kind of, like, not dealing with it, but she's like, get your shit together. Yeah. And I'm really on board with it. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah. No complaints from me. None. None for me either. All right. So, uh, that was our final supporting actress. So, moving on. Um, your Academy Award nominees for Best Lead Actress in 1989 were... From Camille Cordell, Isabel Adjani. From Shirley Valentine, Pauline Collins. From Music Box, Jessica Lange. And from the fabulous Baker Boys, Michelle Pfeiffer. From Driving Miss Daisy, Jessica Tandy. Okay, so let's start off with our winner, uh, Jessica Tandy, for Driving Miss Daisy. This is her first of two nominations and her only win. Going into this, she was one of the big frontrunners uh, going into Oscar night. She wins the Golden Globe for comedy. She wins at the Berlin International Film Festival. She wins with the Boston Film Critics and the Kansas City Film Critics, and she would go on to be, she would go on to win the BAFTA the next year. And she was also recognized at the New York Film Critics Circle, but she did not win that one. In Driving Miss Daisy, Jessica Tandy plays Miss Daisy, an elderly, an elderly Southern woman whose relationship to her black driver slowly evolves over the years. So thoughts on Jessica Tandy and Driving Miss Daisy? I don't like it. Yeah, me neither. I, I, I don't like this performance. I don't like this movie. I think this is one of the worst Best Picture winners ever. I agree. Um, it's boring. It's nothing we haven't seen. It's the racist old lady who ends up having a heart of gold at the end. Yeah, I'm so over that. I'm over it. It's There's nothing to, like... There's no redeemable arc here other than feeling bad for her because eventually she loses her mind mm -hmm. and dies at the end. I don't care if that's a spoiler. If you have, you've had plenty of time to see this movie. It's a Best Picture winner, so... Yeah. I mean, there is... There's nothing I look forward to here. There's yeah. nothing to write home about. I I honestly feel like maybe her campaign really worked in the age factor. Because, yes, she would be nominated again down the line in, like, two years for Fried Green Tomatoes. But it was like, nobody knew that would have happened. Right. And this is her... I was surprised, actually. This was her first nomination. Yeah. For some reason, I always thought she had something from, like, the 50s or 60s. I yeah. knew this was her only win. But I thought she had one before this. Or she had a nomination before this. And I was surprised that it was her first. Yeah. So I could see how, like, the career factor was playing in, because she was an established actress for decades, both film and theater. But and then I also think back to the beginning of the decade with Eva Legallienne, where it had the mm -hmm. same campaign idea that could have gone into it, you know, and she didn't win, even though I gave it to her. Yeah. She didn't win. But it was like, out of the five here, this is... Well, Jessica Tandy also had in. more of a film career than Eva did. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, I'm not crazy about this. I think, kind of like with Julia Roberts, this is a, a performance that's a little bit too heavy-handed for me. Yeah. Like, I don't find the character very interesting. I don't find the performance very interesting. I don't find myself peeling back any layers. I don't find myself discovering any nuance within the performance. 
it's just very on the nose for me. Yeah. And the movie's a big turnoff. I was actively dreading rewatching this because like Steel Magnolias, I had seen this years ago and I didn't remember a damn thing about it. I, like my mind had repressed this movie. Mm-hmm. And so I had, I felt like I had to revisit it because I didn't remember a single thing. And it was a drag for me. Like I, it made sense for me why I dreaded rewatching it. Like, yeah. I just don't find this very interesting whatsoever. And I really leaves a sour taste in my mouth when it's over. Yeah, and especially talking about this now and remembering that Green Book won Best Picture, mm-hmm. it was just like, the, there's something the about... Spirit the Spirit sequel. Yeah. Me. There's something about the Academy that loves them a driving movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah. movies where, where racists develop a heart and learn that yeah. we're not all racists. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. Meh. I'm not into it. Meh. So our next nominee <laughs> is Isabel Anjani, nominated for Camille Claudel. This is her second of two nominations, having been nominated for The Story of Adele H. in 1975. Going into this, she wins at the Berlin International Film Festival the year before Jessica Tandy won, so it took a little bit for this movie to reach the States. And Isabel also wins the César Award, which is basically the French Oscar. Mm-hmm. And those are pretty much her only precursors. She didn't have any other like major ceremony or critics awards here in the States. The Oscar was like her only American recognition. In Camille Claudel, Isabel Lanjani plays Camille Claudel, the assistant and protege to sculptor Auguste Rodin, who also becomes his lover until she tries to escape from his shadow to become her own independent artist. So thoughts on Isabel Adjani and Camille Claudel. So I have four instant thoughts of this movie. Number one, this movie is way too fucking long. Yes. The two and a half hours about a sculpting movie is too much. Number two, this is a meta nomination as all fuck because this takes place in a world revolving, not revolving, but where Victor Hugo and his death yep. play a big part in this. Number or number three, meta as well, because she's also playing a character, again, who suffers from schizophrenia who ends up pretty much, like, on the streets. And she ends up in, like, a home. Right, like just a, like... An institution. In the story of Adele H. And number four, just like the story of Adele H., she really had no precursors going into this. So it was, like, a, you know, based off of a pretty strong love of the film at that time. Mm-hmm. With that said, though, I really like this. I think this is a really good performance. Um, it shows me that... Not that I ever... Um, ever believed that her nomination for Adele H was a fluke because that was a highly deserved nomination. Mm-hmm. This is also a highly deserved nomination. Um, it also goes to show me that if Isabella Johnny wants an Oscar nom, she's got to play a real person, a French, you know, clearly she's French, but like a French history or um, historian type of person. Um, with a connection to Victor Hugo. With a connection to Victor Hugo and schizophrenia. You know, the, the, this movie does kind of take her from kind of like mousy woman and then it like throws her on her head there's that scene where she's got all of her sculptures and it's kind of like an art gallery and she's painted up with like this red eye shadow and lip and she's really pale and she just looks nuts and people are like oh what the hell is going on here um and it, it you know she gives me that drastic range of nothing to bam in your face and i i really like it I do too. Uh, this movie is super long. Yeah. I actually took a couple of breaks while watching it because I found my mind wandering and I needed to kind of refresh my memory and come back ready. Yeah. But um, it is a slow movie and you get a real evolution in her character mm-hmm. where she goes from being this sort of, like you were saying, sort of mousy woman to becoming um, Rodan's um, assistant, helping him move statues around 
and becoming like a she's not like a model for him but she helps him like present right. his things and then she starts sculpting herself and he critiques her and she gets better and she becomes almost just as good as him if mm-hmm. not better although she doesn't get the recognition she deserves because you know she's a woman yeah. in the past and she has this moment later in the movie where she fucking snaps mm-hmm. and I was living for it where she's just like throwing her sculptures around and smashing them and those things must have been heavy as hell yeah. like in reality on set they were probably like foam yeah. like they probably weren't actual like statues because also that's expensive yeah. and dangerous marbles expensive but, shit but Isabel sells it like I believed she was picking up 100 pound busts yeah. of people's heads and like lugging them across the room like she really makes it seem like she is exhausted yeah. by the end of that scene and it goes on for a while yeah. where she is just destroying her art because she is pissed and then there's that, that there's that last one that she just kind of hugs and holds yeah. on to and in a way you get the sense of like it, once that's done she's done so she doesn't want to let go of yeah. her past um, but yeah I agree I I agree with everything you just said yeah she's she's really good here my only gripe is the movie's a little long but the, the thing that the good thing about that is you do see a very slow, believable evolution in yeah. her character. The pace could have been picked up a little bit. Trimmed but, by a half an hour. But it does it does help you give it does help the movie give her a believable evolution. Yeah. As a character. Yeah. And so it helps her in that regard. But as an audience member, I found myself like, come on. Did you get any Helena Bonham Carter vibes with this too? Because I don't know if it's the way she looked and dressed because mm. Helena Bonham Carter dresses like a present day Camille Claudel. <laughs> but like I... In the, in the institution. In, in the institution part, yeah. Um, yeah, I got some Helena Bonham Carter vibes. I didn't think it while watching, but now that you mention it, I could see a young Helena Bonham Carter playing this role. Yeah. I guess Juliette Binoche played, which I've never yes. seen th- that version, but I guess Juliette Binoche played um, this character as well. In her institution days, like yeah. later in her life. Because she was institutionalized for like... 40 years. Yeah, like a couple, dec- few decades. Um, maybe 30 years, yeah. Like 20 or 30 years yeah. she was in this institution. And yeah, uh, Juliette Binoche did play her in a movie in her later years. Yeah. I have not seen it though. Um, uh, side note also, congrats to Isabella Johnny because she was the first foreign actress um, from France to get two nominations. Oh, neat. Um, and then she, uh, Marion Cotillard would tie her with that with just a couple years ago. Hmm. So go Isabel. Right, go Isabella Johnny. I like it. Yeah. So our third nominee is Pauline Collins nominated for Shirley Valentine. This is her first and only nomination. And going into this, she had won the BAFTA for lead actress and she was nominated at the Globes for comedy musical. In Shirley Valentine, Pauline Collins plays Shirley Valentine, a middle-aged housewife in a rut. And when her friend wins um, an all-expenses-paid trip to Greece for two, Shirley tags along with her and sort of begins to rediscover herself in Greece. Mm-hmm. So thoughts on Pauline Collins and Shirley Valentine. So I really like Pauline Collins here. Like, I really, really like her a lot. Um, the movie isn't great, but it's, 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 it's an enjoyable film. Now, it's funny because I've done a FYC ad for this on our Twitter, and no one really responded to it. At all. There were a couple likes, but no one was like, I like it, I don't like it. I think this is one of the more underseen films in, yes. in this lineup. It's on Hulu. As of this yes. recording, it's on Hulu. And I like it. Number one, it, it's 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 a definitely a different type of film because she breaks the fourth wall a lot. And she um, talks to a wall. Yes, and she talks to a She's wall. She's friends with her kitchen wall. Yes, and she is very much... The movie is very much hers, mm-hmm. and I like it. The only thing my biggest complaint is like Tom Conti in this is a little weird. Oh. I love that it too showed a woman uh, in her forties 
naked and comfortable in her body and showing people of a certain age still have sex. Right, because this is when she's in Greece and she's sort of... Um, so I made a weird connection while watching it. And I was like, this is like how Shirley got her groove back. Ah, uh, it's basically yes. It's basically the Angel Angela Bassett movie, but six years prior yes. with a white woman in Greece. Yes. And so she goes to Greece and she starts getting her groove back and she yep. hooks up with a man and they make love on a boat in the middle of like, the Mediterranean mm -hmm. and she's feeling it. Yeah, I think what took me, and what, I really like this, but what took me really by surprise, so I'm a huge fan of Absolutely Fabulous, and of mm -hmm. course Patsy Stone, yep. played by Joanna Lumley's in this, is that Joanna Lumley didn't get a supporting actress nomination She's here. She's really funny in this. Yeah, I'm a whore. <laughs> like, you don't expect that at all from her. And I was like, I feel like if this was released today, Lumley would have gotten in there somehow because that, that, that is like one of those or she would have had at least one of the big precursors like a golden globe or something but yeah i like it what do you what about you um i'm not crazy about the movie i think it's a little silly yeah i think pauline collins is delightful mm -hmm. i think she has a real charm to mm -hmm. her the whole like breaking the fourth wall thing is gets a little old after a while um I think the movie is a little lackluster. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't too fond of it when it was over, but I think she has a real charm to her. She's pretty funny, mm -hmm. and uh, she made me smile a few times. Um, I found myself rooting for her. I was like, "You go, you you go get that Greek dick. Um, <laughs> go go Shirley. Get that Greek dick." But uh, yeah, I think she's fun. I'm just not crazy about the movie. Yeah. But I I don't don't really have many complaints other than like what the movie has going on for it. Yeah, and this was a, one of the, another one of those nominations that was never really able to be capitalized on because she didn't have a huge career. I mean, she has a not career. Not in the States. Not in the States, but I mean, even in Europe. I mean, she's... Mm. She, the, I think she has a TV show. Yeah. I think I looked her up and she had some TV show in, in Britain, but yeah. I don't know that much about her. Yeah, this was probably just... I mean, she, honestly, this was probably just a one and done. She also might, might be a big stage actress. I, don't, I didn't really look into her career, but yeah. it's possible that over there she's a huge theater actress i don't know if you're in england add us let us know yeah does pauline Co is pauline collins a staple on is stage she, is she a big deal yep let us know we do have english listeners now yeah that's we a, do that's a thing so let us know let us know yeah so our fourth lead actress nominee is jessica lang for music box this is her fifth of six nominations having won for tootsie in 1982 while also being nominated for francis in 1982 following that up with Country in 1984 and Sweet Dreams in 1985. She does not win anything going into Oscar night, but she was nominated at the Globes for drama. In Music Box, Jessica Lang plays Ann Talbot, a lawyer who must defend her father once he is accused of war crimes. Mm -hmm. So thoughts on Jessica Lang in Music Box. My winner for Country. Um, I like this a lot. Um, I, I think Jessica gives us that that drama we need for a woman trying to figure out, yes, she loves her father, but is he this criminal? If he is, do I have to stop loving him? You know, it, it, it's very emotional. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the dramatic performance of this lineup, in my opinion, outside of Isabella Johnny, um, where Isabella is giving us a range of everything very Just, slowly over time. Yes, Jessica gives us everything up front and it never lets up. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is really good. I think this is probably one of my favorite Jessica Lange nominations. And yeah, I don't really have any complaints on this. Yeah, this was my first time watching this. And this is probably one of her more restrained nominations. Mm -hmm. Like she has a very, a, a build like Anjani in, here in Music Box 
where he starts to have doubts. Yeah. Like she believes her father at first and then she's representing him and as the evidence starts presenting itself and as she starts hearing testimony from other people, she starts believing, well, maybe she did actually do this. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, well, maybe he did do it, but it's not his fault. Maybe we need, there's more to the story. Yeah. And then she realizes, oh no, maybe he did fucking do this. And she's really wrestling with all of these feelings mm -hmm. toward her father until it completely explodes yeah. there at the end after he's been pretty much exonerated, she discovers new evidence or new things present themselves and it kind of tips her over the edge and she's like, no, you're my father, but you're a piece of shit and I can't have anything to do with you. Yeah. And it's fully believable because she gives you all of these twists and turns and builds up to this moment and it's not like a 180 where yeah. she was in denial the entire movie then all of a sudden, oh, there's this new document and oh, now I know something new she really does wrestle with this stuff the entire time. And and I think it is probably one of Jessica Lange's more, I don't know if restrained is the right word, but like controlled. Realistic. Very, sort of, sort of. It's introspective at times when it really needs to be. She's very clinical because mm -hmm. she's playing a lawyer here and she's trying to be objective while also fighting for justice. But then again, justice is her thing. And so as the evidence is presenting itself and she's having these doubts, even though it's her father who she's defending, he's accused of these terrible war crimes from it's like the Holocaust, I believe. Yeah. In Hungary, I think it was. Mm -hmm. He was like an officer in a concentration camp. And mm -hmm. I find it very believable. And her arc totally makes sense. And she sells it. Yeah, this is one of those performances too where I, I, I forget that I'm watching a performance because it's so believable. And I think that's why it's one of my favorite Jessica Lange like, performances from her. Because there wasn't any doubt, like that I'm watching someone act. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like this person was in front of me. Yeah, so I love Jessica Lange, but one of my slight, tiny complaints about her is I always feel like she's acting with a capital A. Oh, really? Like, that's what I mean when I say this is one of her more restrained, because sometimes, like, I love her. and I'm, Like in I, Sweet Dreams. And I live for her, yeah. but sometimes Jessica Lange can be a little much for me. Mm -hmm. It's a little, like, she's going there, she's going a little too far sometimes, mm -hmm. even when I'm enjoying it, I'm like, come a little back. But this, <laughs> but Music Box... She's doing exactly what I think she needs to do, yeah. and I completely buy it. Not that I, not that the performances are any way, shape, or form similar, but the way that I view her in this is kind of like how I view her as um, in Coven, the third season of the yeah. Horror Story, where she it just becomes this character. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I I like it a lot. I do too. I was really into it. I really like this. I think this is probably. Her let I would say between this and Sweet Dreams are probably her two least seen performances. I think so. Which is sad because unlike Sweet Dreams, this is really good. Yeah, it feels the movie feels very Sidney Lumet to me. It yeah. felt like something he could have directed. This movie you could tell was made for the nineteen eighties. Yeah. Like this, I mean, while yes, it plays today, it just it's very eighties. Yeah, it so. feels like an eighties courtroom drama. Yeah. So. so our fifth and final lead actress nominee is Michelle Pfeiffer, mm -hmm. nominated for The Fabulous Baker Boys. This is her second of three nominations, having been nominated the year before for Supporting Actress for Dangerous Liaisons. Going into this, she was pretty much the other frontrunner. If it wasn't going to be Jessica Tandy, it was probably going to be Michelle Pfeiffer because she wins the Golden Globe for Drama, the, film, the Chicago Film Critics Award, the Los Angeles Film Critics Award, the National Board of Review, the National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics Circle, and she would go on to be nominated at the BAFTA the next year. In The Fabulous Baker Boys, Michelle Pfeiffer plays Susie Diamond, an up-and-coming lounge singer who's a bit rough around the edges and doesn't have any formal vocal training, 
but she sells her numbers with her personality, and at some point she kind of comes between the titular boys. So thoughts on Michelle Pfeiffer and the fabulous Baker Boys? So I like this a lot better than her Dangerous Liaisons that I do we too. talked about last last week. Yeah, I do too. Um, because I feel like Dangerous Liaisons kind of held her back, and it was very like I think I mentioned like she it comes off like she's acting for the stage almost. Yeah. I am not convinced though that she's a lead in here though because her role is very much like snarky one lines and she's really only there to, I mean, let's be honest, she's really only there to fall in love with the Jeff Bridges character in a way and then she leaves the group. Um, but outside of these one lines, even though yes, I like it more than Dangerously is on, I'm not convinced she's in the right category because she doesn't show up at all until like probably 25 minutes into the film and then she's it's a little sooner than that is it it's like i felt like it was like 25 no, minutes it's like the 15, film it's like 15 okay maybe i'm wrong on that one then but it i don't know she it, she doesn't really have like a character arc here oh i think she does see i don't because yeah. I, I i see her coming into it she lights the cigarette she shows up to the gig she does a couple more gigs she sleeps at jeff bridges she gets a new gig and she leaves like there's nothing really going on for Susie diamond there other than falling in love with the Jeff Bridges character. And I'm just not convinced she's in the right category, even though I think she's good, but it, for me, there's nothing to write home about. Mm -hmm. I think she is in the right category. I wouldn't put her in supporting. Mm -hmm. I think she's completely integral to this story, and I have a hard time picturing anyone else in this role. This is one of those roles where like, I feel like this is, this is Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. And I think she does have an arc. Like She comes in, and she's like borderline white trash. She has like no class, and she gets this gig with these... Uh, I guess, classy singer, piano guys. And she develops um, a following and she sort of hones her talent. Because I think she does have talent, she just doesn't have training. Mm -hmm. And after a while, she kind of starts playing this like game of fame between them and their fans and these other like record label people that are trying to pilfer her mm -hmm. from the act. And she's struggling with what she wants to do, whether she wants to stay with the band or whether she wants to live her own life. And she's kind of in this weird predicament. And then in the end, she kind of, she does go off on her own. And she's going to go make a name for herself out in the world. And so I think she does have an arc. And I think she is, she plays too big of a role in this narrative for me to consider her supporting. Mm -hmm. And I, and she, she does, it does take a minute for her to be introduced. I think it's like 15 minutes when she comes in. But you are right. She has gone for a chunk there in like about three quarters of the way through after she leaves the band and they have their falling out. But then she comes back. So she has gone for a little chunk. But I would still consider her a lead in this, um, and I'm on board with it. Um, I think she's really good here. Like I said, this is a role that I can't see anyone else playing. Like yeah. when I think of Michelle Pfeiffer, I know a lot of people think of Catwoman. For some reason, I think of the Fabulous Baker Boys, even though I'd only seen it once, like 15 years ago. I think of her in that red dress on the piano, in that that imagery that's been redone so many times, and I think she is completely at home in this role. It's so funny you, you think of her in this, not Catwoman, like most people. I think yeah. of her Stephanie in Grease too, because Grease too, oh, I sure. love Grease too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know, because I feel like it could take her character out and there's still a movie. I don't know if she's really? that into Yeah, because the movie revolves around the Baker boys. It doesn't revolve around Susie. It doesn't revolve, like Susie plays a part in it, yes, but the story is about the Baker boys. 
and how long they've been doing it and what they have to do to change and then the 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 tumultuous relationship that ends up becoming them and how Bridges character wants is or well they're both Bridges how Jeff's character wants more than Bo's character and Bo wants to stay on the same track and then Susie's just kind of there like I think you could literally take her character out and there's still a there's still like an hour 20 almost I feel like of story that's just about them um, so I'm not convinced that she is a lead here, but I'm not, I think like you, you know how like they did the auditions and you meet all the ladies and there's like the Jennifer Tilly character and Jennifer yeah. Tilly pops in later. Not, I'm not saying that Michelle Pfeiffer's role here is the size of Jennifer Tilly's because Jennifer Tilly has two scenes in this mm -hmm. movie, but I honestly feel like her character is just there to sleep with Jeff and then that's it. Um, because I don't get, like, anything else from her when it comes to, um, why she's there. I think, I think she's just there to be a pawn for story's sake. So that's why I don't know if she's in the right category. I think I, let me focus on the performance itself, though. I think, I think what she does is good. The snarkiness is, like, great. Again, I don't think I could see anyone else, like you said, playing that role. But I think it's so tailored to Michelle Pfeiffer that... It almost works against her. Hmm. That's me. Yeah, I don't feel that way at all. Um, <laughs> I, I think, that, yeah, the movie is called The Fabulous Baker Boys, and they're the people we're introduced to. And I guess their struggle to stay relevant is sort of the bare bones of it. But I think uh, Susie's story is the one that I'm more invested in. If you take her out, this movie's boring as fuck, and I don't care about these singers. Yeah. Um, she's the one that livens it up she's like the spark that this movie needs because she's the spark that they need to stay relevant because no one gives a shit about these two piano brothers mm -hmm. they're like struggling to get paid and get gigs and then they add her in and all of a sudden everyone's interested mm -hmm. and i think there's a reason for that yeah. and michelle pfeiffer is amazing here mm -hmm. i think this movie is secretly about her because I, I find her arc way more interesting than the brothers mm -hmm. who kind of in the in the end kind of end up the same way they were to begin with yeah there's not i mean they kind of do their own thing but they don't really advance in any way i guess they just go in different directions but i'm way more invested in where Susie diamond is going than i am the baker boys okay and could I, you imagine if they called it like they've done the poster of in the movies the fabulous baker boys and Susie diamond like that was the title of the movie yeah i thought that would have been funny as shit that would have been a really funny title huh. i yeah like i said i don't i don't hate this i think she does good for what she's got and i think it's definitely better than her dangerous liaison's yeah. performance but yeah, i'm not is, convinced yeah i'm not convinced she's in the right category okay so you want anything else? Um, no, that was pretty much it. Okay. I think that was about all I had for Michelle. Yes. Well, so now our we favorite get part. To the best part of the show. Yes, yes. You mean the best part of the show isn't hearing like us just discuss the roles? People come here for this part. What? Um, going into supporting again, your nominees were Lena Olin, Julie Roberts, Diane Weist, Angelica Houston, and Brenda Fricker. Um, I my last place here is Julie Roberts. I just. It's so corny. There's nothing really to celebrate in this. And again, with Sally Field and Shirley MacLaine being right there, and this is who the Academy chooses, I think, just think it's a kind of an inspired nomination. Yeah, Julia Roberts is also my number five for basically the same reason. It's mm -hmm. a little too much for me. Yeah. Um, I just really wasn't feeling this, and I was kind of active, kind of turned off by it at times, where I was like, cool it, Julia Roberts. Yeah. And yeah, she's not the one I would nominate from this movie, and I just wasn't into it. So Julia Roberts gets my fifth place slot. Heard that. Well, we agreed there. I don't know if we're going to agree here. But number four is actually going to the year's winner, Brenda Fricker. Um, by any means, this is not a bad performance. I think it's really good, and I actually like that she won in real life here. Um, but 
I feel like Norma Alejandro, we'd seen this just two years earlier, kind of did the same thing for the same type of role. Even though it isn't as, you know, she's not building houses and everything like Brenda Fricker is here. I just, I'm just not connected to it character-wise like I am with the others because I think it's my own personal issues. But, um, yeah, I think Brenda Fricker goes in four. Yeah, we're agreeing so far because Brenda Fricker also has my fourth place what? slot. Um, I totally get the win here. Um, I don't, like, scoff at it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I totally understand why people got behind this character and why people wanted Brenda Fricker to triumph in as the character, but um, it's not my thing. The movie itself isn't my thing, and um, I guess there's something about these other three women that I'm just more enthusiastic about. Heard. Well, let's see if we still agree, because I'm going Lena Olin for three. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that this character gives you such a 180 from where she starts to where she ends. This is a very subtle performance that I'm really, really into, um, but I think the final two, for me being Diane Weiss and Angelica Houston, just give me a little bit more. Um, and therefore, I'm putting Lena at third. Well, brace yourself, because I also have Lena Olin in three. <gasps> what? So, okay. I think she's doing beautiful work here. I so feel for this character. It's such a nuanced performance that really shifts incrementally over time that I really admire. And she's so heartbreaking in her final scene. But there's something a little bit more... Um, I don't know what the word is. I'm just a little more drawn to the other two, Angelica Houston and Diane Weist. Yeah. Well, let's see if we match up this category. Okay. So, in my eyes here, we have two very good comedic performances. Mm. Um, Diane Weiss is the best part about her film. Well, in my opinion, Angelica Houston is the best part of her film. At this point, it comes down to just who I appreciate a little bit more than the other. And with that said, i got to give Diane Weiss my runner-up. And I'm actually rewarding Angelica Houston here, the Oscar. Um, Diane Weiss is brilliant in Parenthood. And again, she's really the only thing in my in my two cents that is worth watching, again, for Parenthood. Um I think she's hilarious. She The vibrator scene is really funny. The scene where she comes back from the date and starts drinking and talks about Woodstock is really, really funny. There's not a moment on, when she's on screen that I'm bored with her. Mm-hmm. But Angelica Houston like really sells me on the, the ghost scene, um, causing the shenanigans. And for being such a great performance compared to what she actually won for, I just I appreciate it a lot. I appreciate this performance, and I think it's really funny, and I think Angelica Houston should have won this. Yeah. So um, we haven't matched up in a very long time and we're doing that today. What? I have I have Diane Weist here as my number okay. one and Angelica Houston as my number one. So we across the board and supporting lined up. Yes. Which hasn't happened in many years. Uh, I think we did in 72? 77, 77 for lead actress. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I went back and forth uh, constantly on Angelica Houston and Diane Weist because I love them both so much in these movies and like you said they are also my favorite part of both of these movies mm-hmm. um, and I was just going back and forth constantly and I'm just right now in the moment what I when I did my rankings I was just feeling Angelica Houston a little bit more and um, I already rewarded Diane Weist once so I feel okay with giving Angelica Houston the win for Enemies and Diane Weist gets my runner-up spot. Heard, heard. I don't think we're going to be as lined up for this next category though. I don't think so. But um, as a reminder, your lead actress nominees were Jessica Tandy for Driving Miss Daisy, Isabel Adjani for Camille Claudel, Pauline Collins for Shirley Valentine, Jessica Lang for Music Box, and Michelle Pfeiffer for The Fabulous Baker Boys. And I'll start off by saying that Jessica Tandy gets my number five spot. I'm just completely uninterested in this character, this performance, this movie, all of the above. And she just gets my five spot. Well, we agree there. I don't think that's a surprise for anyone listening or us. Uh, Jessica Tandy is just... Meh. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. There's nothing 
truly that just screams Oscar worthy in this role for me. So yeah, my number four spot goes to Pauline Collins for Shirley Valentine. I think she's delightful here. I just wasn't really feeling it in the end, and there's something about these other ones that just kind of stay with me a little bit more. So Pauline Collins gets my number four. Well, we don't agree on this one already. Um, also, too, if you haven't noticed, against my better judgment, I did not put Michelle Pfeiffer in fifth. Um, I really do feel like she is in the wrong category, but I'm going to keep her where she's at, which this might be the only time this happens for me, and I'm giving her four. Um, her one-liners are great, but for me, there's no arc here. There's nothing that she really contributes to the film outside of just being that singer role that is supposed to be there to sleep with Jeff, uh, Jeff Bridges. Did I say Jeff Daniels earlier, by the way? I feel like I said Jeff you Daniels. Might I might have. I think I just knew what you meant and went with it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's better than her Dangerous Liaisons role, but there's nothing to, you know, popping out at me here, really, mm -hmm. in the long run. I'm giving Isabel Aljani my number three spot. Um, I think she does really remarkable work here. She creates a very believable evolution in her character from beginning to end. But I didn't feel quite as compelled by her mm. as I did the other two that I have, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Jessica Lange. Um, really like Isabel Aljani. Of course, if you heard our discussion of Isabel or Adele H., mm. You know we love Isabel, but there's something a little bit more compelling about these other two that I have remaining. So I'm giving Isabel Adjani my number three. Heard that? Well, my number three is actually going to Jessica Lange. Um, while I do think this is one of her better performances for sure, um, and there's not a moment where I don't think she's acting for the screen for me, um, there's something about the comedic timing of Pauline Collins that draws me in, and there's something about the dramaticness of the character of Camille Claudel by Isabella Johnny that just takes me in a little bit more than her. So unfortunately, like per usual, when, it, when we say our number three spot, there's just something else that the other two are giving me a little bit yeah. more. So. so I have Jessica Lange and Michelle Pfeiffer remaining. I'm giving Jessica Lange the runner-up and Michelle Pfeiffer's getting my win for the year. Um, I really like Jessica Lange in Music Box. It's a performance that I found very captivating and it did something for me that a lot of her other performances don't do and I really admire that. But Michelle Pfeiffer is everything Fabulous Baker Boys needs. It's the spark that really ignites it and keeps it going and without her the movie would be pointless mm. and she's everything about everything that works about that movie is because of Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. And it's I that character is synonymous with Michelle Pfeiffer for me. So uh, she gets my win for the year for Fabulous Baker Boys. Heard that. Well, I have Collins and Ajani left. Um, while, yes, I'm, I usually tend to reward comedy more, I'm actually going to give Pauline Collins the runner-up here while giving Isabella Johnny the win. Um, Collins is great for what she's got and not in a not-so-great movie, um, but she's very enjoyable for me, and I think it's a cute performance that is cute but really effective. Um, Ajani, though... When I first saw this, when I lived in L.A. back in 2011, I was blown away by it. She's always been my number one. Um, I, I knew going into this who I was rewarding. Um, plus two, I, she was my runner-up in 75. She was both our runner-ups. Yeah, and I, re I rewarded it to Carol Kane in 75, and I didn't want to use my tie for that. So I can't let Isabella Johnny go by without rewarding her somewhere, and this had to have been it. Um, but yeah, I, she blows my fucking mind. And the movie, yeah, is not great. The movie's way too long. But she is fucking fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I think it should have gone to Isabella Johnny. Okay. Well, my winners for the year were Michelle Pfeiffer for The Fabulous Baker Boys and Angelica Houston for Enemies, A Love Story. Well, I also had Angelica Houston for Enemies, Love Story, but gave Isabella Johnny the win. Right. Now, at the end of last season, we... I surprised uh, Brandon with a game of who is truly the best of the winners. 
The actual real life winners. The actual real life winners. So I actually forgot about it until we got into the studio. Yeah, then I, I remind, then I reminded you. I was like, are we still doing that thing where we rank the winners? And you were like, what? <laughs> so um, I, sh- I should have done it in the middle of the episode like you did for me in 1979. <laughs> oh, God. No, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you really should have. Um, okay. So just because it's the... Uh, I'll give the supporting a go here. Just as a reminder... Um, your winners in supporting actress of the decade in 1980 was Mary Steenburgen for uh, Melvin and Howard. Uh, in 1981, it was Maureen Stapleton in Reds. In 1983, it was Linda Hunt in Year of Living Dangerously. In 1984, it was Peggy Ashcroft in A Passage to India. In 1985, it was Angelica Houston uh, for Pritzi's Honor. I did not have these written down, so I'm just doing this off memory at this point. In 1986, it was Diane Weiss and Hannah and her sisters. In 1987, it was Lumpy Dukakis and Moonstruck. In 1988, it was... Oh, who was 1988? Gina Davis. Thank you. Gina Davis in The Accidental Tourist. And in 1989, it was uh, Brenda Fricker for My Left Foot. Now, Going off of the... I don't know how I should do these. So um, so if you listen, you know that we usually disqualify someone if we feel like they're in the wrong category. Mm-hmm. And if you've listened to our season, you know that there are four winners here who we both agreed should not have been in the supporting categories. Those were Jessica Lang for Tootsie, Linda Hunt for The Year of Living Dangerously, Peggy Ashcroft for Passage of India, and Gina Davis for Accidental Tourist. I we skipped over 1982, by the way. I just realized. Oh, so yeah, so... So we sort of concurred in those year episodes that we were going to disqualify them. I'm pretty sure we did. So, But yes, I have an extra one that you don't. Right. So you thought that Mary Steenburgen was category fraud from Melvin and Howard, and I disagreed. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially, I have a five-way tie for automatically for who shouldn't be here. And for me, that's Steenburgen, Lang, Ashcroft, Hunt, and Davis. Yeah. So I'm really ranking... Five. Five, while you're ranking six. Right. So, with that said, I think out of the winners, the least deserving is Maureen Stapleton for Reds, so she comes into fifth place for me. Okay. Um, so I'm going to do two back-to-back so I can catch up with you. Ah, sorry. And um, our Mary Steenburgen thing is going to get resolved right away because she's my sixth. Yeah. So um, Mary Steenburgen is my sixth of who I have remaining, and my fifth place is going to go to Brenda Fricker. Um, you just heard us talk about it. Um, I get it. I just don't really... It's not really my thing. Yeah. So uh, those are my six and five. So again, five was Maureen Stapleton for me. So um, Angelica Houston in four for Pritzi's Honor. Um, nope. It should have, you know, shouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Angelica Houston's actually also my four. Um, she's doing some really interesting stuff in it, sort of blending the old school and the new school styles of acting with her like noir thing going on. But um, yeah, it wasn't my favorite performance, especially in that lineup for the year. Um, so my three is actually going to Brenda Fricker. Um, again, we just kind of talked about it. Um, but out of the five that I had to rank, she kind of, you know, she made top three, but she didn't, she definitely didn't win for me. Yeah. So, uh, Maureen Stapleton gets my three for reds. Uh, she's in very little this movie, but she holds her own in the scenes that she's in. And I think she's doing some really interesting, very intricate character work. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I gave her credit back in that episode, but it's a performance that's kind of stuck with me since re-watching it for that episode. And I totally get the win. And um, I think she's doing some interesting stuff, even though she's in a very little this movie, but she gets my three. No, well, number two for me is Diane Weist for Hannah and Her Sisters. Um, you know, I mentioned in the 1986 episode, that, that was just a complete lineup that year. Of, I just didn't care for any of them, really. And not so much... Did, I mean... Weiss was good, and I definitely thought that um, the person I gave the winner to that year, uh, 
for Crimes of the Heart. Uh, Tess Harper. Uh, Tess Harper, thank you. I don't know why I want to say Tessa Thompson. Uh, but Tess Harper, I think I gave her the win just because I don't think I've ever heard anyone say she should win. Um, but I think Weiss does good for what she has. And for as a whole, for a decade, I she would be my runner-up, which means uh, Olympia Dukakis is my number one. I think mm-hmm. that was the first time I agreed with the Academy. Since we started, since our, we started our, 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 19, our regular episodes. Yes, because uh, I did agree with the Academy for Catherine Hepburn, at least, in Lionel 68. Um, yeah, I think Dukakis is easily the best winner here, and she's the prime example of... You know, she's not acting, she's real life here. Yeah, uh, we agree on our one and two. Diane Weiss gets my runner-up, and Olympia Dukakis is my best of the decade. Yeah. Diane Weiss is hilarious, and Hannah and her sisters, uh, probably my favorite part. I think she's hilarious and heartbreaking all at the same time. But Olympia Dukakis is remarkable yeah. in her mother role in Moonstruck. Uh, she is so fully fleshed. She, I believe she's a real person. I've heard so many people who, of Sicilian, Italian, Mediterranean descent who say she's like the most natural thing in the world. They totally believe her as this character. And I see it even though I don't come from that world. And she's this great. This dude is right behind us. It's, sorry, it's, I'm listening to you, but also too, I can all hear her as a fucking lawnmower. That's okay. We'll just speak loudly. Hot dad is no longer hot. Nope. He's lost his hot card. <laughs> So, um, as a reminder, for your lead actresses for the 80s, in 1980, it was Sissy Spacek for Coal Miner's Daughter. In 1981, Catherine Hepburn for On Golden Pond. In 1982, Meryl Streep for Sophie's Choice. In 1983, Shirley MacLaine for Terms of Endearment. In 1984, Sally Field for Places in the Heart. In 1985, Geraldine Page for The Trip to Bountiful. In 1986, Marley Matlin for Children of a Lesser God. In 1987, Cher for Moonstruck. In 1988, uh, Jodie Foster for The Accused. And in 1989, Jessica Tandy for Driving Miss Daisy. And I'll kick us off with Jessica Tandy for Driving Miss Daisy. You just heard why. Same. Yeah. Tandy's definitely the worst winner of that group. Yep. Uh, My number nine is going to go to Sissy Spacek for Coal Miner's Daughter. Um, I just wasn't really feeling it. Um, I guess I understand the win, but it's not a performance that I'm particularly warm on even though i love sissy spacek mm-hmm. uh, she's gonna get my number nine spot well my number nine is geraldine page um i said it before i think when geraldine page has smaller roles a la pope and a la you know pete and tilly she's really good but she cannot carry a lead role in my opinion um and especially against Whoopi goldberg there's no reason why she should even be in this lineup um so with that said she's not as bad as tandy but she's pretty bad yeah um, Catherine Hepburn gets my number eight spot. Um, she's enjoyable and on Golden Pond. She's doing her Catherine Hepburn thing. And if you love classic movies, of course, it makes sense why you would love Catherine Hepburn. And um, I dig it, I guess. But I'm also just not particularly warm on that performance. It's not my favorite Hepburn by far. Yeah. And I guess, again, I get the win, um, but not, not who I would have gone for. Gotcha. Well, my number eight is Catherine Hepburn as well. Um, Hepburn's going to hep. Yep. And we, you know, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my number... <laughs> not, I'm not writing home about that either. Right. My number seven goes to Sally Field for Places in the Heart. Um, the whole Oscar baitiness of it all really just turns me off. It feels like one extended Oscar clip, this whole movie. And if you heard that episode, you know I really had feelings about that movie. I haven't listened back to it since we recorded it, so I don't know how crazy I got or if I upset anyone. But I don't like that movie, and yeah. unfortunately, Sally Field kind of suffered for it, so she gets my seven. Well, my number seven is actually Marley Matlin. Um, I, I, I said it before in 86, I think that William Hurt is just kind of doing the role for her. And, 
compared to the actual winners that you know from this decade, she's just she's not super strong. Mm-hmm. And I think I actually placed her fifth. I think you did too. Yeah, we both had her fifth. Uh, so even in her lineup, she's meh, so. I have Marley Matlin as my number six. Um, I think she could be good if the movie trusted her. The movie just doesn't give her the opportunities to really be her own. Like how we discussed, if they had just let her sign without William Hurt constantly talking over her, yeah. it could have been a really powerful performance. Like yeah. if, like I know I had briefly mentioned maybe they could have just subtitled her and then we then I backtracked and I was like, no, just let her sign and let the audience figure it out. Let people be in her world for once. Mm-hmm. So it could have been a really strong performance, but unfortunately the movie just doesn't do her the favors that it probably should. Yeah. So she gets my six. Heard that. Well, my number six is actually Sissy Spacek. Um, I mentioned 1980. Not to, I feel like I talk about it way too much, um, but I've seen Ronnie Blakely do it better in Nashville. Um, so I wasn't crazy about the, this one as a whole for the same character. Um, but even within this lineup, it's not, she's definitely not the best. So she, you know, she gets six. Yeah. Jodie Foster gets my five for The Accused. She's riveting as hell in The Accused. She really goes there, but it's, a little much for me sometimes. Yeah. And as um, enjoyable as that kind of performance can be, given the circumstances, um, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, so she gets my five. Yeah, I heard that. Um, my number five is actually Sally Field. Um, kind of for like the same reasons. I didn't hate the movie as much as you did. Yeah. Um, but, you know... Sally was coming off of a win for Norma Ray, which is Norma Ray is definitely a better performance for her than Place of the Heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the year of that year was just the year of uh, farmers. We weren't super enthusiastic about any of them, really, if no, I recall. No, eighty four and eighty six are weird years to be enthusiastic yeah. about. Um, but yeah, just with you know who's left. Yeah, Sally Field gets five. Okay, clutch your pearls, gaze, because I'm putting Meryl Streep in fourth for Sophie's Choice. She's doing some really nice work here. Um, I understand why everyone gets behind her here for Sophie's Choice. But um, watching it back for this, this, uh, that episode, I realized how much, how harrowing the performance is in the end. Yeah. Like there's two hours of intricate character work that Meryl Streep's doing and I admire all that. But all the stuff people re- remember of Sophie's Choice is in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until I watched it back for this and really focused on Meryl. So um, she gets my fourth. (sighs) Gaze, double clutch, Meryl Streep and four. Oh boy. I mean, yeah, it's good. But I also, let's see, I'm trying to think back to 1982. I think I placed her fourth in that lineup as well. It's, she's got such a long journey to get to where she's really good at that I just don't care about it. Like, the movie has a nice build. Like, it, yeah. there's a believable build up to that moment, and yeah. I understand why it, it it breaks people's hearts. Yeah. But performance-wise, it takes you two hours to get to that point. Even though she is doing yeah. these really subtle things, really creating this three-dimensional character all the way, it's just not as compelling as I think a lot of people remember it. And you're exhausted by the time you get there. Yeah. You know, so it's just streeping for. Yeah. I'm putting Geraldine Page in three for Trip to Bountiful. Like, wow. This is another performance that has really grown on me since I watched it. Hmm. Um, it made me want to go back and watch all of Geraldine Page's other nominations. I know I want to go back and watch Interiors again at some point. That's hmm. another one that I just keep thinking about. And I think if I go back to it, because that was my first time watching it, and I was in a really bad place mentally, and I think I was putting up some roadblocks because her character was in a place that I think I was similar in a similar place, and I was like, no, 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 while watching it. I think that's why I didn't let it envelop me yeah. in the way that does other people. Mm-hmm. 
but Geraldine Page is does do some really intricate work with these uh, characters that she creates. And it's a performance that surprised me when I watched it for the first time. I think I ranked her my runner-up that year behind Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing that has just been in the back of my mind ever since. So um, I respect her more now than I did before. So she gets my three. Um, well, my three is actually Jodie Foster for The Accused. I, I know she gets a lot of shit for this. And the movie gets a lot of shit as being like, quote unquote, a lifetime movie of the week. But the movie dealing with the topic of being a rape victim and being a rape victim myself, like there's a connection there that I get. And so like the mental arc and what, you know, what she goes through is very realistic to me. Whether or not you like it or not, she is really good here. Yeah. So I got it. She's top three for me for sure. Um, I have shared... Shirley McLean left, so I, I don't think she just hits the mark of where I need, but she, you know, I'm connected to that character, so she made top three. I think we both have Shirley McLean and Cher. We do. And this, I've been going back and forth on these all morning mm-hmm. since I made this list, and there's a reason why I would rank either of them the number one of the decade, two very different performances. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna go with what I have here. I'm putting Cher in number two, and I'm giving Shirley McLean the win for the decade. Um, Cher is doing beautiful stuff here in Moonstruck. It's an iconic performance. Everyone knows this performance, and if they don't, if they've never seen it, they know the the snap out of it. Yeah. Like this is a this is a performance that has like entered pop culture. Yeah. Um, but Shirley MacLaine totally put me through the ringer in Terms of Endearment, as did Deborah Winger. This is a movie Terms of Endearment that I appreciated much more watching it now than I did when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it's just that movie that my grandma likes. <laughs> but now watching it a little bit older and knowing a little bit more, it really worked on me in a completely different way. And a lot of that has to do with Shirley MacLaine's performance. Yeah. So I'm going to give Cher the runner-up for the decade, and I'm giving Shirley MacLaine my number one best of the lead actresses of the 1980s. So when I think of Cher in Moonstruck, and I, I, I said this in the thing, I, in our episode, I posted it on our FYC ad, it, I don't know why people go to snap out of it. For me, it's Bobo Take the Card Away. Because it's such a natural performance like Olympia Dukakis. And I know neither of us had either of these two ladies as our winners. Right. I had Sally Kirkland and I had um, Julie Walters. I had Deborah Winger and Holly Hunter. Yes. So for us to be top two for people we didn't even give the award to, I think, speaks volumes on how good their performance actually is. Yeah. With that said, I do agree with you. I think um, Cher is my runner-up and Cher McLean is my winner. Cher is just perfection even though she isn't my winner for that year i think she as a whole she does really good that was a tough lineup that was 1987 is one of the toughest lead actress lineups of the decade yeah that and 83 i think are the top two i would say so yeah um which are fun which is funny because i think meryl came in last for me for both of those i'm pretty sure silkwood and ironweed right um but yeah i think Cher Cher is iconic in this role and when you think of Cher in movies you don't think of anything else outside of moonstruck so i gotta give Mm -hmm. it to her um shirley mclean though is bonkers nuts lovable i think it's she's in the best james brooks film that he's ever done um give my daughter the shot (laughs) wild turkey double you know her whole beef with jack nicholson especially because she's so extra and i strive to be that extra at that age but she's so extra in the most believable way yes it's so good and i like I, i i like her i love her a lot i'm glad like i said even though i I think we mentioned, you know, 
because Kevin was honest with that episode, yep. and I'm pretty sure he gave her the win. There. Yeah, Kevin was the only one of the three of us that gave her the win. Yeah. I, I went with Deborah Winger because, like I said, revisiting this movie for this, I saw it in a completely different way. Yeah. And Deborah Winger like really got under my skin. Yeah. And so I, I felt like I had to give her the win. But Shirley MacLaine, if I recall, was my runner-up, and it was very close. I believe Shirley MacLaine. No, no, she wasn't. Deborah Winger was my runner-up because yeah. I gave Shirley four, and that was not due to the fact that she was bad. It's just that that was a really hard lineup to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think if I couldn't give her the win there, I'm giving her the win here. Yeah. So I think it was good. So we agree uh, Shirley MacLaine and Olympia Dukakis are the best of the decade. Yeah, and then we agree that Angelica Houston for 89 should have won supporting. Yes. Um, holy shit, we're done. Wow, we're done with season two. Season two is a, in the can. Yeah. I'm, like, so excited. Mm -hmm. Because I'm really excited to take a break, but yeah. I am really excited because we took this idea and knocked out two seasons in six months. Yeah, because we've been recording since January, Yeah, and it is June. It is. At the time of this recording, it's June. June 19th. Yeah. But it's funny to think because, like, in one month, we'll be back at it, but it'll be a nice break, yeah. you know what I mean, in between. Yeah. Um, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for all your support. And being active on the Twitter and keeping it going yes. and bringing other people in. It's been it's been a good time. Let's give a little preview, though, of what we have planned without giving anything away, really, um, for season three. Is that we, we loved the aspect of bringing people in uh -huh. and talking. Because, you know, we, when you listen to us, you get two sides. Mm -hmm. If you bring in a third person, you get a, another way. And if you remember, you know, the episode with Craig, Craig and I kind of agreed a little bit more than... Yeah. Anything. But with Kevin, we were all different. All three of us were so different. And there was such a dynamic there where it was like, you can kind of get more than just us. Um, so as of now, uh, as of actually scheduling, because anything can happen. Um, well, I don't know if we should say the names yet. No, 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 not saying the names. Oh, okay. But as of now, um, we have five guests uh -huh. out of the 10 years for right. next year or for the next season. So you're going to hear at least five on our own and five with guests. I yeah. think that's a good, good mesh and yeah so um expect a lot of pe a lot of people you know, we're trying season. to get some diverse voices uh we've been trying to get some female voices on here we almost had a couple who had to back out well we, we did book one yeah as she, of now well yeah as of now for the 90s but yeah. uh it's not like it's something we it was an oversight we had been trying it just hasn't quite worked out hopefully yeah. it will here in the 90s yeah. so we're trying to uh, diversify get some different points of view mm -hmm. other than you know two gay white men yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a thing. And I'm looking forward to the 90s. It's going to be a good decade. Wait. You're gay? Aren't I? <laughs> Is it, are you gay if you suck dicks? I think so. Oh. Is it gay if we do anal? Oh, right. That was we, hilarious, we, we by the way. We haven't talked about anal in a while. That was hilarious, by the way. I would like to comment on that. So we did... Um, we, again, we were recording this the week that we just released the season one premiere. But we, last week, too, we had a bonus episode drop for 1968. And we talked about anal sex with Rachel in, Rachel. In relation to Joanne Woodward. Right, in relation to Joanne Woodward. And then in 1980, we talked about it again. And I forget who it was. It was, it was during Inside Moves. I think it somehow worked in. Were you talking about bar fights and someone calling you? Oh, yeah. Or accusing you of taking it. Taking it, yes. And then someone added us on Twitter and was like, are you two going to talk about anal sex all the time now? So we recorded those episodes way apart. Yeah. It just happened that they aired back to back. Yeah. And so it seemed like it was becoming a thing. Yeah. So you've had literally 10 weeks of not, us not talking about anal, so now we're going to end it with anal. Yeah. But to give you an idea, too, about the length of time it takes to do these, I, I noticed on our files, in our quote-unquote vault, 
that the first episode we recorded of this decade was with Kevin, and that was March 4th. Yeah, so it took us three months to record this entire season. Yeah, and it's June 19th as of today. Yeah. So it does take time. It takes a lot of homework. It takes a lot of homework. Do you have anything else you want to add to close out the season? Um, I think I'm good. All right. Um, well, it's been a hell of a decade. Yeah. Can't wait to see you all in the 90s. And, uh, dude, enjoy your break. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. For the final time this season, I am Joey Gentile. And I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this has been your... No, let's try this again. And for the final time, I'm Joey Gentile. And I'm Brandon Stanley. And this has been Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this episode was the season two finale of 1989. Until next year. Until next decade. Until next decade. We will see your asses later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>